Welcome, and thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in NAHU's weekly member-exclusive health policy newsletter, The Washington Update, giving you a head start on your weekly healthcare happy hour. This past Monday, January 31st, was the last day for the California Assembly to pass bills introduced in 2021 including AB 1400, a bill that would have established a single-payer healthcare system for all California residents. Had it passed, thankfully, the bill did not pass, due in large part to the efforts of our guests today. On this week's episode of the Healthcare Happy Hour, Marcy and I are joined by the legislative chair of our California statewide chapter, Don McFarland, along with legislative advocate and chapter lobbyist, Faith Borges. Before we get into it, for folks who may not be aware, Would you mind telling listeners a little bit more about yourself? I'll start here. Don McFarland, if you know me, you know that I've drank a lot of the Nahu (laughs) Kool-Aid. I am a big fan of Nahu because of the work that we do in helping structure how healthcare policy changes. I currently serve as the VP of Legislation for Kahu Now KHIP, which is California Agents and Health Insurance Professionals just to match more what we do because underwriters is kind of a antiquated term in our industry. I'm also a past president of the Los Angeles chapter and I'm very excited to be here because we have exciting news. And it's a pleasure to be with all of you virtually. My name is Faith Borges. I've had the privilege of being Kahu now K-HIPS lobbyist for five years. I came on kind of baptism by fire in 2017 when SB 562, which we'll talk about later, um, California's last crack at a single-payer system was introduced. So I have that context. And prior to uh, joining the firm, California Advocates, where I currently serve now, I was legislative staff in the California legislature, serving in both houses, the Senate and the Assembly. So I have that context as well. Great. And thank you so much for joining us. So as we mentioned earlier, the bill in question AB 1400 would have established a single-payer healthcare system for California residents, but would you mind describing the bill in a greater detail? So AB 1400, though it did not have a lot of the details needed to describe what the system would look like, would force every single Californian into a government-run healthcare system, taking away choice for anyone who might want to use private coverage or even opt out. And it would effectively abolish private health insurance, including Medi-Cal, including Medicare, including Covered California, including the VA, and the valuable advocacy and services that us as insurance professionals provide. And the difference between single-payer as terms, we just wanted to give a nod to Janet's work on the important differences. This particular bill was a single-payer system, like DMV-run government-run single-payer system. Estimates for single-payer systems on state and national levels tend to be rather expensive. How did lawmakers contend to pay for such a system? 
So this was interesting. In contrast to previous single-payer bills, this bill did not identify funding within the bill itself, which is part of why it wasn't heard in past years. It had a companion bill in a constitutional amendment, ACA 11, which I'll talk about a little later, but it was proposing to raise at least $160 billion annually in new taxes in California. And for context, for those of you in other parts of the country that don't follow our budget, Budget systems, our entire state budget is 286 billion. So a new 160 billion is a lot of additional money. And that's even just the necessary funding, assuming that the federal government was willing to grant waivers to grant California all of the existing financing for Medicare and our Medicaid system, Medi-Cal, and also the subsidies that we receive from the federal government for our exchange, which we refer to as Covered California. So even then, we'd only be about halfway there. So lots of new funding required, so much so that you couldn't really identify a single tax source. ACA 11, which was introduced by the same proponents and author as AB 1400, proposed a kind of a complex tax package, which would include a gross receipts tax, a payroll tax with an employee share and an employer share, and an increase in personal income taxes that started on earnings at about $150,000 and carried on without limits. As you alluded to earlier, this is not the first time that a universal health care initiative has been proposed in the California legislature. So I'm curious, compared to the past iterations of this idea, what made this time different? I think there's a couple of things. So one, this time there was a financing source identified by the author and proponents. So it wasn't in the same bill. It was introduced as a companion piece. And that was largely in response to our California leader in the assembly, which is our lower house. If you, you know, kind of imagine Congress would be the equivalent nationally. Our leader said that because there was no financing mechanism in SB 562, which cleared the entire Senate and was brought over to the assembly, that it wasn't really an adult conversation. And that for legislators to be put up on a very difficult vote when you're talking about increasing this amount of taxes, you need to be having an honest and and a complete conversation. So proponents felt the need to introduce something in writing, which they did in ACA 11. So that really allowed the speaker to say, okay, members can now vote on it, which they did. And AB 1400 um, made it through the assembly Health Committee, which is our policy committee that kind of debates the policy of issues. And then it made it through our fiscal committee, which looks at the impact of you know resources to the state, not necessarily to individuals or to local governments, but the state impact. And then it made it to the entire assembly floor. So this bill was really moving through a different house than we've seen previously with SB 562, obviously starting in the Senate. The other thing that I will kind of make listeners aware of is that the political dynamics in California are Blue, capital B-L-U-E. We have super majorities of democratic <laughs> representation in both houses of the legislature and every statewide office, meaning our governor, you know, through our insurance commissioner, et cetera. The reason that's important is because the Democratic Party platform, frankly, has single payer support for single payer as a part of its platform. And so it's something that's very deeply entrenched, I think, within system politics in our state. And we certainly saw that play out 
as we were in kind of the final days of what we would refer to as, you know, vote counting, seeing where um, different members are likely to be, it was getting really contentious. We saw the proponents of the bill is the Nurses Association, you know, publishing how to get your legislator unendorsed by the Democratic Party if they do not support the bill. So there was lots of political pressure um, to conform to party platforms. And then also, frankly, California is so blue as a reminder to folks that Bernie Sanders carried the 2020 Democratic primary for president. So a platform like single payer, you know, it polls very well in a state like California, where you have Bernie Sanders carrying the presidential nomination, as opposed to current President Biden, who was arguably the least progressive candidate on health care and wanting to do more incremental approaches. So I think that political climate is something to be aware of and not really dismiss this type of an idea in a state like California. And I do want to provide a brief caveat that, you know, KHIP and NAHU are not partisan organizations. Um, We do absolutely love to work with anyone who's willing to have a constructive conversation about healthcare because healthcare should not be a partisan issue. But we do navigate political realities such as the platform issue I mentioned a moment ago. And I have another question about the differences that I'd like you and Don to talk about. And that is, we didn't have the defined financing. It was reliant on a separate bill for that. But it also didn't have the defined structure of how it was going to pull off that single payer system where in some previous, not all, but some previous California bills, we did see that. So can you talk a little bit about how it asked this other entity that is not even in existence yet to put together and study what would become a single payer system under this bill. AB 1400 is a huge bill and it does have a lot of information within the bill about what they propose the system would cover. So things like all traditional healthcare services that we know about, vision, dental, chiropractic, acupuncture, long-term care services, but what it's really vague on is how the financing would work and also how implementation would work. How would California absorb a very, frankly, robust and different healthcare system that varies, you know, regionally? We have San Francisco, we have LA, we have a very large Central Valley. And then we also, frankly, have another entire geographic state in the northern part of of California, north of Sacramento. How do you absolve the hospital systems and the existing network and all of the services that are proposed to be covered, how do you do it without cost sharing, which is something that the bill did call for? No premiums, no deductibles. How do you manage that type of a system with the state being really the executor? There's there's no other administration proposed in the bill. And how do you do it with a nine-member appointed board? That's a really complex undertaking and something that we had concerns about and that legislators expressed concerns about. This is a lot of authority to give to an unelected board that, frankly, could deal with a lot of political realities, such as changing administrations at the state level, at the federal level. And none of that was really finessed smoothly. I think there's a lot of ambiguity, which we've referred to in this dialogue about that, that gave a lot of members pause. When they were just trying to pass an idea and they made the amendment, I, I felt like our legislators are starting to understand our language. When it was in the health committee, assembly health committee, and they were having the conversation about it, the legislators were asking the author good questions. There were no answers to those good questions. 
it didn't seem like they were happy to pass it into appropriations, but they did with all these caveats. So I was hopeful at that point, like, okay, sky's not falling because they're asking the right questions. Goes to appropriations and the amendments are basically saying, okay, so here's what we're going to do. We assign these nine board members to investigate a system and tell us how we can implement it. And we have a deadline of July 1st, 2024 to get that done. So there was nothing solid or no meat to what any of the questions about how this would be implemented. How would out-of-state people be handled? Employers that have out-of-state employees, people traveling that go out-of-state. Zero answers to any of those questions. And that's just the out-of-state questions. (laughs) So I had hope at that point until they had those amendments. And then it just became they were going to pass an idea or an experiment, as Faith says. So that all being said, can you describe the advocacy effort that went into this victory for KHIP? How did you guys manage to pull it off? That was really hard work and a strong belief in our minds that the right thing will prevail. (laughs) To begin, when it came up last year, we even had webinars. So our whole thought process is making sure our members are educated and aware of what's going on that we stay involved in the conversation and that we're continuing to get the education out there. So we held member webinars last year as well. We put together a toolkit for our members that's behind a a firewall on our website that has talking points, glossary of terms. I think we have like 20 different documents for them to use infographics, things like that for them to be able to educate on and to feel comfortable talking about it. Because that's part of it is making sure people understand what it really means. Because everybody, there's so much noise out there. You're going to pick it up. We all pick up our information from all of these different sources. And free sounds great to everyone. But when you really understand what it means, education was key. I'll also add that working in a coalition, I think, was really essential on this one. So I mentioned that the bill's proponents is CNA, so the Nurses Association. But there were a lot of folks who participate in the healthcare system who are vital, frankly, to its success such as the Medical Association, which is the Trade Association of the Doctors, the Hospital Association, America's Physicians Groups, the California Association of Health Plans. I get asked a lot, you know, where are the health plans? Where are the doctors? We were really part of a coalition working in unison. We refer to it as Protect California Healthcare. You can, you know, Google it and look at additional resources that the coalition made available. But act in unison to really let legislators know that we've made a lot of improvements in healthcare. Frankly, California has a very robust healthcare system. We have lots of networks, lots of great customization of services. We have health plans that target demographics that are unique to California and provide services that are unique to regional population needs that we're very proud of. Our costs have also been kept relatively low here. Over the last three years, we've seen low premium increases, even through the midst of a pandemic, which was obviously very fiscally uncertain and a necessity in terms of managing healthcare here. So working as a coalition, I think also was a big part of our success in communicating that we're all trying to contribute to the success of our healthcare system in California. We do all have, frankly, independent grievances with what isn't working in our healthcare system. But what we are united in is AB 1400 and the concept of a true single payer system eliminating all choice for Californians is something that we vehemently disagree with and are willing to provide, you know, the whys that that is. I also think it was important the support that we got from NAHU with our Operation Shouts. The amount of response we got, not only from the healthcare industry, we created two. One that our members could give out to their clients and and just California residents in general. So make it something very public. 
and one that was for our healthcare industry professionals with their concerns. And I feel that was very successful for getting the message out. California is super lucky to have a lobbyist that's smart as hell and able to really have conversations that know where to have the conversations and make sure that everyone is aware, you know, in, in, in all of these different industries also, you know, having relationships is pretty key. I'm really happy with Faith who has helped us create relationships and maintain relationships over the years that are extremely valuable in helping get education out. I think it's important for members to know that there was specific language within the bill that services that have been provided by agents pertaining to enrollment and coverage issues are going to be handled by not-for-profits and or effectively state bureaucrats. There would be no more role of the agent in California as we know it right now. So it is important for agents and anyone who supports an agent, other health insurance professionals, that you pay attention to this type of legislation because, frankly, you know, membership in our associations was really the only voice advocating for the role of the agent and the valuable service that you provide to legislative constituencies, right? People still want to talk to a person and have someone understand their unique healthcare needs, their regional issues that are just not going to be handled the same in a one-size-fits-all system. So frankly, your membership is job insurance. You know, you all understand the importance of insurance. You need to be members of this association to make sure that there is a contributing voice about the valuable work that you do and that it's considered, be it at the state or federal level, when the government looks at dismantling the role that you provide. And this is so important, and not just as it appears in some of these single-payer or universal health care bills. There have been instances where some states have tried to move forward or attempted to move forward with state-based exchanges in different structures that would effectively eliminate the role of the agent and, and use other entities, like Faith was using the examples of nonprofits and, and government entities. In these states, the NEHU chapters have stepped up with the assistance of us here in D.C. to speak out against this and educate the lawmakers on what you all do to protect consumers and eliminating agents and brokers under the guise of giving it to a bureaucracy is, is not the way to protect consumers. So it's so important that you all be active, join the organization and really educate yourselves on what's happening on the state level, not just with single payer, with, with all types of health insurance market industry trends, as well as what's going on here on the federal level. Speaking of Operation Shout, for those who may be unaware, could you talk a bit more about the Operation Shout platform and how it can help NHU and state and local chapters in their advocacy efforts? The Operation Shout system allows us to put together a message that we can then send through our members to members of Congress or members of a state legislature. We can also target departments of insurance, so your state commissioners. And so members of NEHU receive an email. It's very simple for them. The message is already put together. All they have to do is put in their zip code and it identifies who their lawmakers are, again, whether it's state specific or if it's federal, and it sends the message along to those lawmakers. It's so important because 
because oftentimes and faith I know experiences this in in Sacramento I experience it here in DC we're not necessarily constituents of the lawmakers that we're speaking with when we're asking them for these different policy concerns and so being able to come to the offices and show how many messages that have come from constituents and their districts that are concerned about these issues is very powerful for us to be able to do. So that's something that Operation Shout brings to the table. And I know the California chapter sent almost 4,000 messages to Sacramento on this issue. That is about on par with some of the messages we send on the federal level. So you guys are almost blowing us out of the water. But this was a really important issue, right? This is your livelihood at stake. So we encourage folks to make sure that they keep an eye out in their email. Oftentimes on social media, we also blast out our operation shouts for people to fill out. And you can forward it to your clients. So it's a great way to show your clients how involved you are on the state or federal level that you're watching what's happening, what the lawmakers are doing, and you're making sure your voice is heard and giving them the opportunity to share their concerns on exactly how what, whatever issue we're messaging about, how it will impact them and their role in the health insurance industry. And the ease of the Operation Shout. And first of all, thank you guys for being so quick to get it for us. When we were ready, we were ready. January 3rd hit, session started, and we're like, okay, let's go. And just another tip, we did a QR code. I think that might have been helpful. We created the QR code for the general one so that when people set posted or whatever, you could just scan it. And everybody's used to QR codes now. Yeah, I would absolutely echo that. I think putting the QR code up in any of your meetings, you know, leave it up in the chat, tell people it's going to take 10 seconds of your time. I think our operation shout included language that we just need one minute. I mean, in a minute, it's really generous. That's if you're a slow single finger typer um, (laughs) that you can participate and lend your voice to the conversation, which is so critically important as Marcy said, because legislators really do want to hear from their constituents. And I know in our state, and I think a lot of others, there is a tracking system for legislators to see how many people are weighing in in support or opposition of an issue. And when you have something as, frankly, as personal, sensitive, and just a hot topic like healthcare, they want to know what people are thinking. And so uh, proponents were really robust in their organization and contacting legislators. And it was important for people to respond with a counter narrative that we like the health care that we have. We don't want to scrap it to start over. And frankly, we don't trust the government to be the sole provider of health care in California. So we mentioned that January 31st was the last day for lawmakers to pass this iteration of AB 1400. So what exactly is the status of the bill now? And do you believe that AB 1400 or similar legislation will be introduced again this year? That's a great question. So California runs on a two-year cycle, and we just started the second year of that two-year cycle. So our entire assembly is up for election every two years, very similar to Congress. And in the term that they're elected to represent their constituencies, they can bring bills forward. Any bill brought forward in the first year of the session, i.e. 2021, is given kind of a grace period if it couldn't meet the normal deadlines for bills to advance to what we refer to as the second house, in this case, the Senate. There's a very short time period for that to happen. So we had a policy committee hearing, a fiscal committee hearing, and a floor vote all within the month of January this year. 
ultimately the result of engagement and responses from the Operation Shout and efforts of the coalition I mentioned earlier are that the author ultimately pulled his bill from consideration for an entire floor vote. It's a common practice for a proponent of a bill and, frankly, the opposition of a bill to do vote counting based on their respective lobbying, you know, get a sense of where members are. It can be an embarrassment for a legislator to put a bill up for a vote that needs 41 votes to pass. And there's only, you know, 15 votes up on the the board because we have an interesting way of voting in the assembly. It's red light, green light that just pops up. They open the rolls and, you know, all these green lights pop up and red lights. Legislative leadership likes to know where the the bill is going to be before that happens. The votes were not there, meaning the coalition had done a great job of presenting legislators who, again, remember, are largely members of the Democratic Party in California and single payers a part of the platform, that this bill didn't have the substance necessary to implement it in a way that wouldn't be detrimental to all Californians' health care. You know, what do you do if there is a change in the federal administration? You know, if we see a Republican Congress, for example, or a Republican administration that denies the waivers for half of the funding necessary to implement the program, and you've dismantled all of the health care system in the state, right? That's obviously a reality that members are very concerned with. You know, despite the blue state we have here, you often see federal representation switch between the two parties. It's a reality that there's not an answer for yet. So, you know, proponents were saying, well, it's being studied. The board can deal with that. I think we would kind of counter narrative that we have infinite amount of studies here in California. We had a select committee on single payer health care. We have the present um, committee that was appointed by the government, the Healthy California for All Commission. That's actually, we're waiting on a report from them any moment now to say what the state is even able to do at a state level as opposed to a national type effort. We obviously have weighed in and provided comments about what we think could be done and could not be done because we do share the objective of wanting to make sure that healthcare is affordable and accessible and high quality and available to everyone. We just have a very strong difference of opinion about single payer being not the right way to do that. So to answer your initial question, the bill was pulled by the author himself. It was a very frictional thing for him to do. There were lots of press statements from the proponents of the bill saying that they are incredibly disappointed. They vow to, you know, keep bringing this fight back to Sacramento, which is the other part of your question. There's obviously national efforts that you're all keenly familiar with, though that's more so under the banner of Medicare for all, which is different than single payer. And often, as Janet will tell you, used incorrectly interchangeably. Those are very different systems. But the bill didn't move forward. And now there is a financing bill that I mentioned, ACA 11, that is still in a waiting period in California when we introduce bills. They can't be acted on for 30 days. They need to just remain in print. So we're in that kind of initial waiting period. We could see movement on that bill. But frankly, with the policy bill being stalled, it's unlikely that the legislature would want to advance a effective doubling of people's taxes in California, particularly in an election year like 2022 is. We need to pay attention. Like There's so much fodder and there were so many people that didn't know or weren't listening to what this was because they hear it all the time and we fight it all the time. So it was nothing new. They didn't know the urgency. It's real. And it's a conversation that's not going away. Now it's a big sigh of relief because we got here, but the conversation's not over locally or federally. And for us to maintain our ability to have a seat at that table, 
We need people to be members. If you are in our industry, you should be a member of our association. It gives you access to national, state, and local chapters and the resources that are available there. If we're in this industry and we want to continue to have a voice in how it's shaped and what our role is in it, we need to be a part of the industry that's fighting for it. It is now time for the NHU Healthcare Happy Hour Toast of the Week. So what are we toasting to this week? I mean, I would raise a toast any day of the week, frankly, to every member that participates in civics and in providing health care. The work that you do is so critically important. And you all answered the call when that work was in jeopardy here in California. Thank you to everyone who's been engaged in this ongoing conversation about making sure that healthcare is affordable and high quality, that it's accessible to all, and for your membership to ensure that our work collectively as one voice is able to do that. Cheers. Thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. For more information on NAHU's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit NAHU.org.